Happy Mother's Day, church. Happy Mother's Day to the two most important moms in my life. One is my, my bride, who is an incredible mom, to our three boys. I'm really grateful for her. Shout out to you, honey. And then the second is to my mom, who's actually worshiping with us this morning. One of the blessings in this season of online worship is that every Sunday, my mom and dad are worshiping with us, which is great because for years, my mom has been the only person that watches any of my videos, of my sermons. And so now she's still able to watch them and you're, you're all watching them too, which is great. So I love you too, mom. Hey, if your mom is worshiping with us right now, why don't you give her a shout out in the comments? You can thank me later for that. Give a shout out to the mom who made you in the comments right now. I did something the other day that I don't think my mom would be proud of me for. It was Sunday afternoon and we had a couple elders meeting, staff meeting. And so I, I ran up to the church building to take those meetings on Zoom. And I've already talked about how Zoom meetings are hard in my home because I've got these three little distractions running around all the time. And so I head up to the church to do these Zoom meetings. And I wore the shorts I already had on because I wasn't going to see anybody. I was just, well, at least not from the waist down. So I threw on a polo shirt, but I just wore the the shorts I was already wearing. And, and to be honest, they're the shorts I'm not allowed to wear outside the house. Uh, they're the shorts that have holes and compromising places. Everybody has a, a pair of shorts like these. The, the shorts my wife has tried to throw away several times. I've had them since college. I wear them when I'm working in the yard or playing with the boys in the backyard. But the rule is they're not supposed to go out the front door. But, you know, I wasn't going to see anybody at least from the waist down. And so I, I head up here to church and the church is on lockdown. Nobody's here. I log in, start this Zoom call. Everything's going fine. And five minutes in, Breeshan texts me. He texts me and Russ. And he says, guys, my son Dagan wants to get baptized. And I'm like, that's awesome. That is so great. When does he want to do it? And he says, well, can we do it in a couple minutes? And I'm like, yeah, we can do it in a couple minutes. Come on up here. I'm at the church right now. And Russ responds. He says, I'm on my way with the camera. And Jill and Breeshan, they text a couple of friends and family members to come up and meet us. And we're all going to keep our six feet distance, but we're, we're going to be there to celebrate this big, important moment for Dagan. And it's only as everybody starts walking in that I remember the holes in my pants. Right? And um, I was super embarrassed by this. And Lindsay still has not let me live this down. But you want to know something? Nobody was looking at me. Nobody. The moment everybody walked in, they were looking at one person, and that was Dagan, this young man who has given his life to Christ. And everybody gathered around, all eyes focused on Dagan as he declared that Jesus is his Lord and King. And that's what baptism means. And we are baptized, we are, we're pledging our allegiance to the king who is enthroned on high. And everybody who is watching, you know, watching as Dagan is lowered down into that water by his dad, Breeshan, who's tearing up, and his mom and sister who are watching beside reading scripture over their brother and son as he's taking this big step. I mean, everybody was watching them, and it was something to see, something to see. And I got to thinking about it. I, I wonder what the world will think when they do see this. You know, who are these people that would commit themselves to Jesus in the middle of a pandemic? And who are these people that get baptized into the Lord Jesus and declare that He's King when our world, well, it's like it is? Who are these people? 
I get an email the other day from Rob Stallins. Rob's been visiting Highland for a while, and it's, you know, this is in the, the middle of this uh, coronavirus outbreak, and he sends me an email, and he says, hey, Eric, you know, I realize I, I haven't actually placed membership yet, and I think this is a good time to place membership. Can I place membership at Highland? Can I become part of this faith family? And my first impulse is like, yeah, you can. And then I start thinking about it. And, you know, normally with our new members, we have a gathering. We call that the advanced class. And our elders get to meet those new members. They get to meet our elders and staff, ask questions about each other, get to know our church, get to know those new people, find out what ministries they want to serve in. And obviously, we can't do all that right now. And so I, I pause for a minute and I think, no, 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 you can definitely still become a member. And we worked it all out digitally. But who are these, who are these people that email in the middle of a pandemic and say, I want to join your, your church? Right now feels like a good time. <laughs> who are these people? I get a, a call from Jeff Morris. Jeff runs our finances at Highland. He calls me up, Eric. He says, you're not going to believe this. And that's usually bad, uh, a bad thing to hear from your finance guy. I say, what, what am I not going to believe? He says, he says you're not going to believe this. You know, we, we move to online worship. We're not gathering in person every week. And I'm like, yeah, Jeff, I know. Trust me, I've been preaching to a camera every week. I know. He says, yeah. He says, um, you know, I was really worried about our contribution because so many people give by cash or check in person when we're gathered together each week and we're not gathering now. I said, yeah, I was worried about that too. He said, you're not going to believe what happened last week. He said, our people gave online and they didn't only meet contribution, they gave beyond contribution. That actually happened two weeks in a row and it hasn't happened every week. But what he said was, this church is so generous. He said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And our, our, our ministers and staff are so grateful for this generous body that even though right now we're scattered about this city and really across the world that they're continuing, you are continuing to give generously to support the gospel at this place and as it spreads from this place. And our ministers and staff got to talking about that and our elders got to talking about that. And they realize, you know, there are so many people out there in our community that are really hurting right now. And then we have people in our church that are hurting right now, financially, health-wise, and in other ways. And they said, like, how can we honor God with the generous and faithful giving of our people? And they started talking about that. And we talked to some of our partner ministries, Agape, Hope Works, Timothy Hill, and some of our other partners. And we heard the needs that some of the people they serve were experiencing, people who couldn't pay rent, people who had lost their jobs, and they asked us for help. And, and so we decided, like, well, well, could we tighten our belts and find some extra money to help those people and send it their way since our people are giving generously? And so our staff and our elders start combing through the budget, and we came up with $30,000 that we sent last week to those partner ministries, Agape, Hope Works, Timothy Hill, and a, and a few thousand to some missionaries who are helping overseas with pandemic-related fallout. They're like, what a blessing to be able to do that. But who are these people that give away money in a recession? You know, that is not what you're supposed to do. You know, I'm not an economist, but I'm pretty sure that in a recession, you don't just give away money. Who are these people? Who is this body of Christ that would do something like that?
Who are these people? You know, the, the early church started with people asking that same question. Well, in truth, they were asking a, a funnier version of that question. The first question that is asked about the church is, have these people been drinking? We find that in Acts 2. This is what we, what we read. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? These are the people watching the early church. And some, however, made fun of them, and they said, they have had too much wine. And Peter says, no, no, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. One of the best responses in all of Scripture. These, these Christians were acting strangely, not because of what they were drinking, but because of something else, Peter says. <clears throat> and speaking of acting strangely, if you go to the end of Acts 2, we get the fuller picture of what that strange way of being looked like in the early church. This is what we read in Acts 2, starting in verse 42. <clears throat> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, why does Luke write this down? You know, why is this scene, this description of what the early church was doing, why is it written down in Scripture? Well, it's, it's, it's really simple, actually. It's written down because this was so strange. This was different. You know, Luke and other writers don't spend a lot of time writing about what the Christians did that everybody else was doing. What they write about are the things the Christians did that did not make sense to the world around them. The things that Christians were doing that made people think, what are they, what are they drinking? That's why this is written down. I love the show The Office. Any other Office fans? out there. Lindsay and I have watched The Office at least a couple times a week before bed. It's, we love to go to bed just laughing. And, you know, my favorite character like yours probably is Michael Scott. And there is this scene when Michael Scott, who's the <clears throat> regional manager of a small paper company, he's talking to his HR manager, Toby Flinderson. And Toby Flinderson is just the worst. I mean, you, you can hear it in his name, Toby Flinderson. And Michael despises Toby. And there's this scene in which Michael looks at Toby in the eyes and he says, why are you the way that you are? Why are you the way that you are? <clears throat> I don't know if this is holy enough or not, but if you like The Office, why don't you leave your favorite Michael Scott quote in the comments down below. Better be G-rated though. This is church. Better be G-rated. Why are you the way? that you are. You know, in the modern era, that's the same question that a lot of people have asked about the church. Why are you guys and girls, ladies, why are y'all the way that you are? Why do you do the things that you do? <clears throat> why do you have such strange morals? You know, why do you, why do you believe 
uh, certain things that you do are so important and communicate so much to the to the world. Nobody's paying attention to that stuff. Why do you believe that stuff? And and why do you do strange things like come together on Sundays and waste your Sunday morning? You could be at Shelby Farms walking. It's so pretty out there. Why do you do things like that? Why why aren't you more tolerant, Christians? Why aren't you more tolerant of everybody's worldviews and perspective? You're not tolerant enough. Why are you the way that you are? But this really notable thing is happening right now. You may not be aware of this, but Google Analytics tell us that rising to the top of the search feature on their website are things like this. Church, uh, church online, worship, family, community, God, prayer. You know, what we might say and witnessing the rise of those searches online is that in this moment of pandemic and fear and scary, difficult times, that this at least spiritual curiosity is rising up among the people all around us. And we might even go to say it's as far as a, a spiritual desperation they're feeling. And so now they're asking us the same question, why are you the way that you are, but the resentment is gone. They don't say it uh, bemoaning the way that we are, but they see that we're doing things that are odd and different, like giving away money in the middle of a recession. And suddenly those things don't seem um, bothersome or ugly or unexplainable. They seem beautiful and genuine and real. And they want to know, like, what is it that y'all know that we don't know? Why is it? that you are the way that you are. Tell us, what, what is it? Well, to understand that, what you have to do is you have to go back to the first time people were asking that question about the church. Why are you the way that you are? And that's the story that we find there in Acts 2. Why are y'all acting this way? And if you dig into scripture, what you find is the early church began to act that way, not just because they were convicted by the cross of Jesus Christ, And not just because they were inspired by his resurrection, but the chief reason they began to act in ways that were different than the world around them was because they had seen the risen Jesus taken up to heaven to the right hand of God. And they knew that what that meant was that Jesus was now Lord over everything. That he was Lord over all creation. You see, and I said this last week, Acts 2, when we get this picture of the behavior of the early church, is inseparable from Acts 1. When Jesus rises to the right hand of God, the ascension or exaltation. And the reason, the reason the church began to act in ways that the first century church could not understand was because they believed they had seen the Lord Jesus raised up into heaven. Peter puts it like this. Actually, Luke puts it like this. We'll get to Peter in just a second. Luke says this in Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to teach, do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. See, there's that in Acts 1. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen and he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. What happened when Jesus ascended? Well, that's what we've been exploring for the last few weeks here. And if you've missed the last sermons in this series, I encourage you to go back and watch them. You and my mom will go back and watch those videos probably. Let me tell you, a couple things happen when Jesus is raised to the right hand of God in heaven. The first is that Jesus becomes our intercessor. We read about this in Romans, that Jesus is now at the right hand of God, interceding for those who belong to him, interceding on our behalf to God the Father. We also believe that when Jesus is risen to the the right hand of God, that he sends out his Holy Spirit from there, that he pours out his Spirit fulfilling his promise that he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. So those who belong to the risen Jesus are filled with and washed with his spirit. And then chief of all, what they believed is that when Jesus rose to the right hand of God, that he became Lord over all creation, that he now rules over all creation. So when Peter looks to explain why these crazy Christians are acting like they've been drinking too much, That's what he points to. He says this in Acts 2.33, Exalted to the right hand of God, He, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So Christians act differently for a really specific reason. You know, we act differently then, we act differently now, because we believe Jesus is our Lord. We believe He is our King. And that there are a lot of other powers competing for that title in your life and in this world, but we believe none of those other powers compare that Jesus is our King. And so we act in ways that reflect that. There's an old cherry tree in Japan. Scientists think it's over a thousand years old. And the cherry tree keeps blooming every year, even after a thousand years. And think about all that that cherry tree has probably seen in its thousand years. It's probably seen wars and famines and earthquakes and fires. And then in 2011, a massive tsunami hit the coast about 30 miles away from that cherry tree. It hit a nuclear reactor, which caused radiation to spread throughout all the nearby towns. You remember that scene. And yet through it all, that cherry cherry tree keeps blooming year after year. And this year it's, it's blooming again in the middle of a pandemic. And the parallel story to that blooming cherry tree, blooming after a thousand years, is the the parallel story of how many people come to visit and view the beauty of that tree when it blooms. If you chart throughout history, the attendance has, has waxed and waned given what's going on in the world. So in times of war, in times of famine, or in times of pandemic, the attendance dips down. But also what they've seen is in the modern world, as people are distracted by devices and other things, that they, they also don't have it in them as much or as frequently to make the trip out to that cherry tree and witness it. It's like they're satisfied with things that are maybe less beautiful, but still, you know, pretty enough. 
right? Still pretty enough. And I can't think about, can't help but think about how much that parallels the story of the church. You know, because there's been seasons in the history of the world where the church was loved and adored, and then there's been seasons where the church was maligned and ignored, right? But the thing is, we're just doing what we've always been doing. We're doing what we have been doing since Acts 2. Since Acts 1, when Jesus was raised to heaven and poured out His Spirit then in Acts 2 and the church started to look different and do different things. We're just doing what we've always done. You know, those stories I told at the beginning of this church where people commit themselves to Jesus in baptism in the middle of a pandemic and people commit themselves to fellowship and to teaching by placing membership and joining our family in the middle of the coronavirus where people give away all they have to the needy who have everything in common, who give generously to help those who are in need. That's, that's Acts 2, 42. You know, the church, what we're doing right now, we're just blooming like we have always bloomed. We're just doing what we've always done. And it is beautiful. You know, sure, the context changes. There's wars, pandemics, there's online church, right? The context changes in those 2,000 years of history, but the beauty, the beauty's the same. And I hope that if you haven't seen that beauty before, and if you're one of those people that is searching online church, and you just stumbled across us today, I hope what you're seeing in this moment, maybe like you've never seen before, is how beautiful that difference is. You know, when the things in your life that you have relied on have been strip, stripped away, and I don't celebrate that, I bemoan that, and, and I'm sorry about that, but as those things have been stripped away and everything in life seems so ugly now, I hope that what you're seeing here, well, it seems beautiful to you. And I hope that you might, you might join us. You know, what we're doing does look strange to the world around us, and I'll acknowledge that. But we're doing it because we know. We believe that Jesus is at the right hand of God. And He is our King. And we want our lives to reflect that no matter the cost, no matter the context. We want our lives to be the living proof that our Jesus is Lord above all. And if you're not part of that and you want to join that, I hope you'll consider doing it. Why don't you put something in the comments? Let us know that you long for that beauty in your own life, that you want to be baptized into the Lord, that you want to join what we're doing here for His sake and His glory. But let me talk to, let me talk to our people for a second. If you're not one of ours and you're just listening in this morning, praise God, just listen in to what I want to say to our church for a second. Church, look back with me at Acts 2. Let's just read it one more time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, church right here, we have this 
this answer, this really clear answer to the question we're all asking right now. Like as, as so much of what we do as a church has been stripped away, what's most important? Like what can we still do in this moment? And the answer is right here. We can still devote ourselves to fellowship, to teaching, to the breaking of bread and to, and to prayer, even as we're separate and scattered. You know, I believe that in this moment, God can fill us with all, that he can do wonders and signs among us. You think the God who brought Jesus back from the dead is limited by the couple of miles separating us in our homes? No, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is capable of so much. And I believe that in this moment, we can commit to those things like we always have. And in fact, in a couple of weeks, church, we're going to try to do an outreach contribution online. We have never done this before. I have never tried to raise just shy of $200,000 in a recession, a global recession caused by a global pandemic online. I've never tried to do that before. But you know what? Like I've got this great confidence that we're going to do it by the grace of God and by your generosity, because we're gonna do what we've always done. We're gonna sell what we have. We're gonna give of our possessions to help those who are in need in our city and around the world. I've got the greatest confidence in you. And you know what's gonna happen when we do that? The world is gonna see it. And the Lord is going to add to our number daily, those who are being saved. The Lord's already doing that. Not long ago, a young woman who had been coming to Highland for some time was baptized. She grew up Buddhist, and um, she made the decision after a long time of study and walking alongside Highlanders that this life that they were living wasn't strange. It was, it was beautiful, and she wanted to be part of it. And so we baptized her in the waters here. But telling her family that was, that was something, well, she had to prepare for. I joined her and several others joined her in praying constantly for that moment when she would tell her family because she knew that in turning to Jesus and announcing that Jesus is her Lord, she was turning from some things that her family held dear. You know when she, when she decided to tell him? She decided to, to tell him on Easter Sunday a few weeks ago in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Who are these people that do things like that? And I don't know how the conversation went, and I know it's going to be an ongoing conversation. And I'm pretty sure, though, I know what she pointed to when her parents asked why. And as her parents come back to her over the next few weeks and they keep asking her why, I'm pretty sure I know what she's going to point to. It is hard to point to Jesus who is enthroned in heaven, when someone asks you why you've converted to this life. Why is that hard? Well, because he's enthroned in heaven, right? And it's pretty hard to point to the indwelling Holy Spirit that now fills her like it fills you and me. Why is it hard to point to the indwelling Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit's indwelling, it's inside here. How do you point to that? But you know what she's going to point to? She's going to point to you. She's going to point to me. She's going to point to the visible community on earth, the only visible community on earth that is proof of an invisible reality, a life-changing reality. 
and that is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. She's going to point to you and me whose lives are so beautiful, so different than those in the world around us that when her family sees you and me and our lives, they're going to have to admit, yeah, there's something beautiful about that. You and I are the proof that Jesus is Lord. We're not strange, at least in a bad way. We're strange in all the right ways. You and I are the living proof that Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of God to the glory of God the Father. And may we always be that kind of strange.